Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Lord Jesus, we ask right now as we go into your word to read it, consider it. Lord, I pray that we would be prompted by your Holy Spirit to apply it, live according to it, to trust it, to even, if we were ever called on for such an action, even die for it. For it really is the word of life, which brings life, and even in the face of death, life is still ours. And so, may we treasure it now. May we treasure the object, the person whom it's all about, Jesus Christ. So Lord, may we cherish you, love you, and find you even more glorious than we did walking into this room because of our time in your word now. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, summary of where we've been at so far in our series called Reason for the Season. We just started with the base premise that there's nothing more important during the holidays or ever than Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. Nothing's more important. Nothing's more central than Jesus Christ in our lives. And so Christmas then is a celebration of the birth of Christ. Easter will be the death and resurrection of Christ, but Christmas is the birth of Christ that God Himself took on flesh, as Pastor Trent read earlier, humbling Himself and would walk this earth some 2,000 years ago by the name of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. He was a real person in history. It's not a myth, not a fable. He's real. And He is God. And so going through the Bible then, the last four weeks, we've just been finding all the different times where Jesus explicitly says, this is why I came. So we don't have to guess, we don't have to wonder, why is it that Jesus came? Why did he take on flesh? Why did he walk this earth? Why did he go through what he went through? Why did he die on the cross? Why? Christmas. And each week we've been giving in different answers, such as to be the ransom for many. Jesus came to bring a sword. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. Today, why Christmas? Because Jesus came to bring abundant life. And maybe if you were here last week and you took home that family devotion uh, and, you, and you used it, I hope you did, uh, you, you know that that's where we were going today. We read it as a family um, for Christmas, getting ready for opening presents. And we, well, Sarah and I were competing with pretzel sticks the whole time uh, get, to keep Judah's attention. And so I was half tempted to reenact the nativity scene with pretzel sticks um, we didn't though, we made it through, uh, just as long as he had pretzels in his hand, we made it through. But um, if you also went through this devotion, you know that that is where we were going this morning to bring abundant life. Uh, that's why Jesus came. And we get that in his quote from John chapter 10, verse 10. Let me read it very quickly. Jesus says, I came so that they may have life. And have it abundantly, like Michael 
read earlier in the service. What does it mean to live life to its fullest, to have abundant life, right? I think if you asked 100 people on the streets, you'd get 100 different answers. To have a full life means to have an abundant life. For me is, you have a lot of different answers. I remember when I was youth pastoring in Springfield, there was a, a teenager who, uh, his name was Tyree, and he, I would, we would talk about what do you want to do in life, what do you aspire to do, and he would talk about how he wants a Ferrari and, and all these really nice cars, a McLaren F1, and he wants mansions, and he wants to be the CEO of a company that he founded, and all these, all these things that he wanted. Uh, and Tyree, uh, just as he continued to grow in our youth group, came to know Jesus and, and fall in love with Jesus, uh, ended up going to the same Bible college after he graduated from high school that I went to, uh, and Tyree died his freshman year of college, and never saw any of those cars, never got a mansion, and uh, never became the CEO of any company that he ever founded. But Tyree had an abundant life. So what is an abundant life? I think when you consider that question without God in the equation, not, ask, not, not considering God, not thinking about God, and you're asked that question and you answer that question without God coming to mind, you may have answers like, well, just make, so, make a lot of money. Materialism, like, like Tyree thought earlier on. To make money, to live with material ease, and have all your means that you need. And someone, someone may say, no, it's not about the money. It's about thrills, life experiencing, like life experiences, getting out and, and, and seeing the world, traveling Europe. That's what it really means when you walk this earth to make the most of it. Thrills in life. And, and still, somebody might say, no, it's not that. It's cherishing those who are closest to you and and having a bond that goes deep with the people around you. Making special memories with your family when you have the time. But when you look at the Bible, what is critical for an abundant life? Without such ingredients, you wouldn't have an abundant life. None of, the, none of those things are actually necessary. In fact, his abundant life that he describes in Scripture could include monetary poverty, not wealth, with much loss and consistent relational heartbreak. And yet, abundant in life. It's worth noting that in John 10.10, 10, when Jesus says what he says, we'll get to it in a little bit, he's talking about his church, his people, who have abundant life in him, and he's describing them as sheep, who he's the good shepherd of. And yet he's able to say, while, while equating or likening our lives to that of sheep, he says it's an abundant life. Think about that. The same pen your whole life, stuck in the same fence, the same shepherd, same pastures, 
eating grass, same routine, same food, and you're easy prey. I think the world would say that is quite a lacking life. And Jesus would say, within that pen, within that same routine, within that same pasture, and the same grass meal, three meals a day, it's an abundant life. It's truly an abundant life. That's why I think, well, you don't have to turn there, but that's why I think in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is talking about churches in this area called Macedonia, and he says, you know, the, the, the Macedonian churches had, he said, severe affliction and extreme poverty and yet abundant joy. How do those mix? How can you have severe affliction, extreme poverty, and yet abundant joy? How can such a life be an abundant life? How can Jesus say what He says in John 10.10? I came so they might have life and have it abundantly. Well, we need to see the whole context of the chapter to really make sense of this statement of Jesus. Let me summarize it briefly before we jump into it. Jesus, again, is telling a story about sheep. It's thrilling, right? He describes this scene for him, okay? So, imagine it with me. There's vulnerable sheep, if you imagine it as a, as a painting, okay? So he's painting some sheep out in a field. He paints a few of them. And then he paints this door to a pen. So he paints a pen and a door that the sheep are going to walk in and out of. And then he says, oh yeah, I need some thieves. So he, he describes these thieves that would jump over the fence to get to the sheep. And then he, he paints this picture of a, of a good shepherd also in the image of their minds. Oh. And so he's describing this whole scene with the sheep and the door and the pen and the thieves and the good shepherd. And then he starts assigning roles to the picture in their minds that he's just told them about. So the vulnerable sheep, that's you. That's me. That's, that's God's church. That's God's people who forsake the world, who don't leave the pen, who stay in the pen, and stay with the good shepherd. It's the church that are faithful to being with God. Now, I know there's already somebody thinking like, you kidding me? I have to be the sheep? I think that's actually nice of Jesus because he probably could have picked worse animals that are just as fitting for us. <laughs> but the sheep is actually very fitting for you. And the sheep is really fitting for me too. Let me, let me read a quote from a guy named Arkent Hughes when he's talking about this passage and how fitting the sheep is in describing you and describing me and our human nature. He says, Among the animal kingdom, sheep seem to have come out on the short end. From all accounts, they are of limited intelligence. When it comes to finding food, they are definitely uncreative. As creatures of habit, they will follow paths through desolate places, even if excellent forage is not really far away. Sheep are also given to listless, wandering, constantly wandering. 
There are even accounts of them walking into an open fire right in front of them. Shepherds confirm that they are timid animals and yet stubborn animals. They can be frightened by the most ridiculous of things and though at other times nothing will make them budge. They are absolutely defenseless to a lot of other animals. There is no way that a sheep can truly defend itself. And so Jesus uses this picture to describe his church. Stubborn yet timid. Really needing a lot of direction. And wander a lot. And he uses that to describe you and I, his church. And then he says, okay, now uh, turn your attention to the door. The door is Jesus. No sheep can come into God's field except through Jesus. He is the only way to God. It's through the person of Jesus. No one can find themselves in the family of God except through the work and the person of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So he's the door that the sheep walk through. And then he said, now turn your attention to the the, the thieves and the robbers who are jumping the fence to try to go get the sheep. These thieves are people who want to lead you astray and into dangerous areas. Further and further away from the shepherd. So, last figure to be given a role. Who is the shepherd? Well, that is, again, Jesus. Are you kidding me? Jesus gets two characters he's the door and the shepherd well you be the incarnate god and you can have two characters as well jesus is the good shepherd he's loving to the sheep he protects god's people he oversees them and so this is the scene that jesus paints in john chapter 10 and that's when we get to john 10 10 it's in that context that jesus actually takes some time to compare himself with the thieves He compares himself as the shepherd with the thieves and what they might do in a sheep's life. Let me read now. We can look at it. John 10, 10. This is the full verse. It says, The uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, let's consider the thief for a second. As we put them two next to each other, what does a thief do in a sheep's life, in your life? And what does the good shepherd do in the sheep's life, your life? Let's look at the thief first. Who is the thief? Again, original context, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was talking to real people about real situations. And he was talking about religious leaders, Pharisees is what their names were. And they were trying to lead people away from following Jesus. And he says, these guys are thieves and robbers trying to lead you, lead them away from me. I think, though, to contextualize it for you and I, who's a thief? I don't know about you, but I've never met a Pharisee. So how does this apply? Well, if we broaden it out, I think thieves, just like Pharisees then, we can have thieves in our lives now. It's really anyone who desires to lead you away from God, to wander from God. So that... That then could be your coworker. That could be your parent, 
your mom and dad. It could be your grandparent. It could be your own spouse that's trying to be a thief in your life. It could be your sibling. They try to draw you, or their desire is to draw you away from the pen of God's family. And how do they do this? Well, some are obviously malicious in that. Right? There's, there's some who are aggressive, maybe snarky on the internet as trolls. You believe that? That's the most ridiculous. You would believe in a God like that, right? That's a, a thief trying to pull you, a timid sheep, away from the pasture of God. Some are aggressive in that, but I think honestly, more than often, usually in your life, a thief probably has good intentions. They think that they are doing you a favor. They've had a bad experience in church and they don't want that for you. So they want to draw you away from the pasture that's actually good for you because they didn't experience a good life in that pasture. So they thought. So maybe whether malicious intentions or good intentions, wanting what's best for you, or just wanting to pick a fight with a Christian, whatever it might be, I think regardless of the approach, they have the same effect. They will lead you, if you follow them, to death and destruction. Pull you from the source of life. And Jesus, on the other hand, that's what a thief does. Jesus, on the other hand, says, I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. He doesn't come to kill. He brings life. So think about that. Jesus came. What does that mean? Well, Jesus came down from heaven. That's a doctrine called the incarnation. That God put on flesh. And I just want to encourage you with this today. Maybe you feel distant from God or God is distant from you rather. And you might feel like He doesn't understand doesn't care maybe. The doctrine of the incarnation that Jesus came down from heaven to walk the way you walked, to experience the way you experienced, that shows that he is able to sympathize with what you're going through. He's able to be aware of your pain. He lived life and he faced death probably more crucially than anybody ever will in this room. He faced it. He knows it. And he loved people, and then he mourned as he watched people that he loved die. He's went through it. It's an amazing doctrine, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He came so that you would have life. And that was through the means of his death. He, his mission, his sole mission was to take on our death, which is the punishment for your sin, He took that on so that you might have His life. And yes, abundant life forever in heaven, new heaven, new earth. That's what we always think about. But to give you life abundantly, not just in heaven. Hear me, this is critical. Abundant life today. Not just abundant life after 80 years of misery, but abundant life today. Flourishing today. Abundant joy that can't be robbed from you today. That's why he came and died. Now, 
there's a really critical word in there that can be a hinge for understanding all of this, either rightly or wrongly. It's the word they. Who is they? Jesus came so they may have life and have it abundantly. Who is this for? This is for His sheep. This is for His sheep. It's not just anybody who forsakes God, doesn't want anything to do with God, wants to live their own life and enjoy their life without God, and He came to just give life to that. No, Jesus came so they, His sheep, His sheep may have life. It's only for those who reject the quote-unquote lush pastures of the world. Who forsake that. Who push that away. And reject the voice of the thieves. And say, I'm right where I need to be. He came to bring life to that person. And that means that we have a hard calling as His sheep to do what the Bible says, die to self. That we might have life. That we might live. And so, let me make this really practical and and tangible for you and for me to think about. I think it's fair to say that all of us are drawn as wandering sheep to fields of money and self-indulgence. Money's not evil, right? What you do with it can be. But we're just drawn to self-indulgence, right? As sheep, we want to wander to that field. I want that field. But they, in John 10.10, forsake that field and choose the pasture of generous sacrifice. I want that field. That's the field that my good shepherd is in. That's the field that Jesus lives in. And so we forsake and we, we're, we're drawn though to the, the field of fill in the blank. Easy retirement. Work 50 years and kick up my feet. We're drawn to that field. I want to work hard now to build up my bank account to kick my feet up and play golf later. We're drawn to that field. We want that field. And yet we forsake that field to stay in His field. Choose His field of laboring for the kingdom until the day I die and breathe my last breath. I want that field. I will toil for His kingdom. I will work effortlessly for His kingdom. I want that field. I'm going to forsake that one. We're drawn though to the field of perverse sexual desires. We're humans. We're drawn to that field. We want that. And yet we choose His field of daily squashing that and denying that, killing that, saying this is far better. And you might say, that's a horrible deal. It's not a bad deal. It's not a bad deal. To forsake the, the, the self-indulgence of materialism, to forsake the easy retirement life, and to forsake the perverse sexual desires and just keep from all of that, but have Him, it's not a bad deal. 
because you have an abundant life without all of those things if you have him. And yet flip it, it's a lacking life if you have all of those things or any one of those things and you're no longer with him. That is a lacking life because that life is, mo- is momentary. It's fleeting. And it's a life that the thieves would lead you to which you will only find eventual death and destruction in it. They steal you from true life. So, how in the world can this be that being in that pasture with Jesus would give us abundantly more than any other pasture that this world has to offer? How how can that be? Because, I, I, I don't know, I don't know you, I don't know what maybe you're going, what's going through your head right now, but let me try to take a stab in the dark at it. You may think that it's, it's nice and all that he, that he would die for, for me to have life. I don't really understand what all that means, but it's, nice that, it's a nice sentiment that he would do that, you know. And you may even grant that heaven, if it's real, that freedom from pain and suffering, that, that does sound like abundant life. I'll grant you that. If it's real, then I'll grant you that that, that would be abundant. But where you're maybe hung up at, maybe what you can't get on board with is that you can have abundant life right now before you die as you forsake all those fields and you stay with Him. Maybe you're hung up there and you say, how is... Absolutely not. Because, because maybe you know a person. Maybe you know someone who is doing the whole Jesus thing. And their life looks like a living hell. And you're like, I could say that's a few different things, but abundant life wouldn't be at the top of my list. Maybe that's what you're thinking today. So maybe you can get on the board with the whole forever after death, eternal heaven, abundant life thing, but abundant life now? No. I'd say, yeah, yeah. Let me just, with the few minutes that we have left, give you three things that are unique about the good shepherd and what he does for his sheep within his field for those who stay within his field. Three unique things about the good shepherd that you won't find in any other field of life. That other shepherds or the thieves, what they can't offer you. And it makes it an abundant life that he can. Firstly, the way that he knows his flock is unique. The way that he knows his flock is unique. Let me read John 10, verses 2 and 3. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Again, you don't have to turn there, but if you just drop your eyes, you can see it in verse 14 as well. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. So, what's unique about the shepherd? 
the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, that you won't find in any other field with any other shepherd or any other thief. It's that he knows his flock. Can I tell you, Jesus knows you better than anyone. He knows you better than you know you. He knows you better than you know you. Who you've been. Maybe that's scary. He knows who you are. He knows what you do. We sing that song, right, about Santa. He knows when you're awake. But, but it's actually true about Jesus. He knows you. Who you've been, who you are. Even though maybe even your spouse doesn't know truly who you are. Because you won't let them into that part of your life. He knows. He sees. He knows who you're meant to be. Who He has called you to be. He knows who you want to be. He knows what you've done, what you're doing. He knows all of it. And let me tell you, He still loves you. He still loves you. He knows you. He knows what you've done. And He loves you. That's the amazing thing that you won't find in any other person or thing in your life. He truly knows you, the real you, and He truly loves you. And He'll never stop loving you. So, three things that are unique about the shepherd. Firstly, it's an abundant life with Him and without everything else because I will always be fully known by Him and fully loved by Him. That makes it an abundant life. Secondly, the way that He leads His flock, not just knows His flock, but leads His flock is unique. Again, we see it in verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. He calls them, calls his own sheep by their names, and then he, he leads them out. He leads his sheep in a way that's unique from any other path of life. Whatever is directing your life, and I don't know what it might be, it might be money. It might be trying to build that corporate ladder, build a uh, Go up it. It might be pleasures, just chasing the next thrill or pleasure. It might be God. Even if it's God or it's one of those other things that's competing with God, whatever guides and directs your life, I can speak confidently that none of those will detour around all the issues in life. Guaranteed. Even if God's directing your life, He doesn't take the detour away from the issues. There are no detours around problems in life. Death still happens. Cancer still gets diagnosed. You can't buy freedom from that. Dementia is still real. Heartbreak and disappointment still occurs. Your spouse will still surprise you. Life still happens. No matter what's directing your life, you won't be able to detour around all of it. But let me tell you, when Jesus guides you through those areas as the good shepherd, only his sheep have peace in those situations. Others can't say that. His sheep can. 
We read it in the famous psalm, Psalm 23. Just listen to these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's great and all. But he's also leading you in verse 4. He's still leading you even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He leads his sheep like no one can guide you through the pains and difficulties of this life. You can have peace no matter what adversity you face. I still have a long many years of pastoral ministry ahead of me, but in the few that I've already had, it's enough to meet with, counsel, and grieve with people that have had a lot of heartbreak and pain and loss. And you just see it and you observe it. It's more than I've gone through. And somehow I'm supposed to give counsel in the midst of all that. And those who have been pastors have lived that life, you, you know, that's like to sit across the table from those individuals. And, and it's always amazed me, those who have a fervent life with Jesus, though their life is crumbled in front of you, they still have a wit, a confidence, a peace about themselves. And sometimes in our lacking of faith, might be blown away by that and say, how are you so put together? You've just lost your spouse of 40 years. The Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. No one else can offer that. The fact that he can, it's an abundant life. Even without everything else, it's an abundant life because he gives peace and victory in the darkest of times. Heaven will be glorious and it will be abundant. But it's abundant now too because we walk with him still. Thirdly, lastly, not only the way he knows his flock knows you is unique. Not only the way he leads you in hard times is unique, but the way he protects his flock is unique. Let me read now. If you drop down to verses 11 through 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you see that? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand, not a shepherd who does not know the sheep, sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. We keep reading. It says, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd who, verse 11 says, will lay down his life for the sheep. No matter what trials you face, in this life, and I'm sure you've gone through many, probably worse, many of you, than what I've gone through. 
but regardless of what trials you faced in this life, there is no wolf more dangerous for you as a sheep than death itself. There's no wolf more dangerous than the wolf of death. It's eternal, and there's no going back once that wolf gets that sheep. Jesus stepped in front of the sheep and killed the wolf of death by laying down his own life. He died killing that wolf so that his sheep don't have to worry about that wolf. His sheep don't have to constantly be on the lookout for the wolf of death. They don't have to worry if it'll get them. It's an abundant life with Jesus, even without all those other things that we push away. It's still an abundant life because this life can never be taken away from me. We read Romans 8, verse 37. It says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. And you could say, through him who lays down his life for the sheep. We're more than conquerors. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation, that's how good he is at protecting his sheep, will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what makes it an abundant life now. You can't steal it from me. You can't steal it from me because the good shepherd. So, let me conclude with this. You can have all the riches, all the money, all the pleasures, all the precious memories with family. You can have all the laughter and it means nothing, absolutely zero without Jesus. I remember I sat down with a Pastor Trent, some time ago for uh, something I've never been a part of before this church called the Pastor's Pounding. If you know about it, you know about it. And, uh, and it was just, we were just getting just showered with these gifts and it was just unbelievable. And I, I felt guilty, like, receiving all of that. Like, please stop, just take it back. Like, you're making me feel terrible. And, and it was just constant stuff, just sitting there feeling overwhelmed with love by people all around you. And that's exactly what God does. But not with gifts of this world, not with chocolate and more coffee, though. Thank you, Jesus, for coffee. God showers us abundantly, but not with things of this world, with himself, with his presence, with the glories of heaven one day. And so it is abundant. Christmas without Jesus is not an abundant Christmas. And that's true for every season. It's not an abundant life without Jesus. It's momentary, it's fleeting, and it ends in death and destruction. But Christmas and life in general with Jesus is truly abundant. No hardship, no trial, no heartbreak can steal that abundant life from you. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. 
If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.